You're listening to a new sermon series from Sojourn Church Carlisle, entitled All in the Family. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sharing how to cultivate a strong relationship with God through managing our finances, as well as maintaining strong relational dynamics in both familial and non-familial contexts. We hope that this series will give a clear vision and a much deeper appreciation of how God is calling each of us to become faithful stewards of our finances, of our families, and of our friendships. This morning we're going to continue in our series of All in the Family to provide a biblical framework on how to rightly build upon our relationship with God and others regarding our finances our family, and our friendships. And I'm thankful today that we actually, uh, this will be our last Sunday, and we're going to really focus on the theme of friendship. So we've all envisioned them. The perfect couple, the perfect match, the perfect pair. For some, the perfect match is is best seen as being Cleopatra and Mark Anthony. For some, it may be Sonny and Cher. For others, it may be Ike and Tina. Even for some, it may be Johnny Cash and June Carter. Maybe that doesn't float your boat. Maybe it's Beyonce and Jay-Z, Barack and Michelle, Harry and Meghan, or in my household, Tom and Zendaya are our favorite. You know, but for me personally, the perfect pair is essentially and easily associated with two words, Jordan and Pippin. <laughs> and this morning, we'll discuss this theme of friendship by examining the following. We'll look at the goodness of friendships. Friendships are essential. We'll look at the beauty of friendships. Friendships cultivate intimacy. And then lastly, but not least, we'll talk about the truth of friendship friendships are not created equal. Will you pray with me? Father, we do thank you that you have given us the gift of friendship. We thank you, God, that friendship is not just an end of itself, but it is a means by which we get to know your great love for us as our heavenly Father. We thank you, God, that you have drawn close to us in the person of Jesus and have personally through him embodied and exemplified what perfect friendship looks like. It looks like one friend laying down his life completely and truly for the advancement of another. Help us cultivate a a clear biblical understanding of what that means and what that entails, how you are calling us to grow in this area of friendship. And I pray, Father, that this church will stand upon the foundation of friendships that are cultivated both here at this church and also within community groups and also within our local community. I pray, God, that you would help us to transform this community as well as our very lives through the gift of friendship. Teach us, encourage us, admonish us where you need. Take my little as you always do and make much of it. In Jesus' name, amen. It is over. It is over. These are the fortunate words used to describe the relationship between two of the greatest teammates of all time, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. 
According to a recent article, despite them winning multiple NBA championships together and countless other awards, both individually and collectively, their once inseparable relationship has now become separated. Daniel Canova of Fox News writes this. He says, Chicago Bulls legend Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen won't ever speak again. According to New York Knicks great Charles Oakley, the former Bulls teammate who won six championships together during the 90s, no longer talked following Pippen's displeasure with the Last Dance docuseries. Now, if a long-time friendship like Jordan and Pippen can seemingly fail, what hope do any of us have, right? Yeah. What does true friendship entail? Let's look at this first theme of friendship that I mentioned earlier, the goodness of friendship, that friendships are essential. You know, in Deuteronomy 13, verse 6, the Old Testament describes friendship with a striking phrase. It says this, if your brothers or your friend who is as your own soul. Notice with me, the author of Deuteronomy refers to a close friend as one who is as your own soul. Which which suggests a deep oneness at the core of friendship. And this morning, my task is simple. This morning, I simply want to help you identify five essential marks of true friendship defined by looking at David and Jonathan's relationship. The question I want to answer is this. What ingredients are needed to establish and maintain a true friendship? As we look at 1 Samuel 18, we'll see five essential elements. Look with me at verse 1 for the first mark of true friendship. The Bible reads this way. It says, when David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Here in verse one, we see the first mark of true friendship, which is consistency. Consistency. Notice what it says. When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship. This aspect of being bound together uh, bears to the, identi- the, to the reality of being a consistent friend, meaning that a true friend will never give up on you. They will never let you down. They are committed to you. They won't turn away or desert you. Love with Psalm, Proverbs 17, verse 17 says about this. It says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a difficult time. Notice with me that the purpose of a brother is to uphold a family member in a difficult time or in a difficult situation. The Hebrew word here for brother is used generally for relatives or for family members. But don't miss the implication here. The implication is clear. A friend is better because he loves at all times, not just in difficult times. You see, true friends should make the hard times easier and the easy times better. 
So what does it mean to be a true committed friend? Let me give you a couple of verses. You're not going to get all of this all at once, uh, but I want to give you a, 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 a kind of a 1,000 foot view of what this entails. A true friend shows love no matter what. A true friend is one who gives good advice. A true friend rebukes when necessary, but the correction is always done in love. A true friend enlightens and sharpens you, meaning that you're made better because of their presence in your life. A true friend forgives, does not hold grudges. A true friend is loyal. A true friend helps in the time of need. Love what the Life Application Study Bible has to say about this aspect of friendship. Listen to these words that, that, was, that I, I read this week. It says, what kind of friend are you? There's a vast difference between knowing someone well and being a true friend. The greatest evidence of genuine friendship is loyalty or loving at all times. Being available to help in times of distress or personal struggles too many people are fair-weather friends. They stick around when the friendship helps them and leaves them when they're not getting anything out of the relationship. Think of your friends and assess your loyalty to them. Be the kind of true friend the Bible encourages. Be the kind of true friend the Bible Encourages. So the first mark that we see in verse 1a is this aspect of consistency. Look with me in verse 1b for the second mark of true friendship, which is commitment. It says, when David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship, and he loved him as much as he loved himself. Notice with me, he loved him as much as as he loved himself. Another way that the Bible puts this is he loved him as his own soul. Sounds familiar? Deuteronomy 13, 6. See, one of the most common Hebrew words for friendship has a meaning of this, one who loves deeply. Love what Drew Hunter says in his book, Made for Friendship. We're actually going to have an equipping class on this book later, and I encourage everyone, everyone, married, singles, um, everyone to be involved in this great book study we'll have coming up in March. But listen to his definition here. He says, friendship is an affectionate bond forged between two people as they journey together through life with openness and trust. It is an affectionate bond forged between two people as they journey together through life with openness and trust. So what does true friendship entail? What does it mean? I think it can kind of be summarized here in this quick formula. It simply means this, honesty plus acceptance equals real friendship. Honesty plus acceptance equals real friendship. And why is this so important? Why do we need to value true friendship, real friendship? Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says about this. He says, when thou hast found such a friend and proved the sincerity of his friendship, 
When he has been faithful to thee, grapple him to thyself with hooks of steel and never let him go. (laughs) In other words, what Charles Spurgeon is saying here is, listen, when you found a true friend, when you found somebody that is truly has your best interest in mind, who is consistent, who is committed to you, do everything in your power to keep that person in your life. It's a good reminder for us that close friends hold each other in the highest regard. They truly love each other. You know, for me and myself and I, um, I grew up as an only child, single-parent household, and I learned how to do a lot of things on my own just because out of necessity, I didn't have another person to really live life with, if you will. But at a young age, God gave me a friend like Jonathan. His name is Jason Malone. We have grown up together. We've been best friends since preschool age. Here's a picture of us in baseball, t-ball. I don't even know what that was, but this is how much I love Jason. I don't even like baseball, but I played because of him, like just to be around him. But this is, my, this is my best friend. He's still my best friend to the day. And I, I, I don't know if you have ever had a relationship like David and Jonathan, but if I had to correlate this relationship with David and Jonathan, it would have to be with this, this knucklehead of a friend here. I mean, I love this guy. He, he's, he's been around me through thick and thin. And listen to me, everything has not been peaches and cream. There have been years where we've been separated, where we didn't talk to each other, where we had disagreements, where we fell out. But somehow, someway, God has always allowed us to circle back to one another in friendship and transparency and in love. And here is the next picture is uh, a picture that I have with him being having the honor of being his best man at his wedding um, now almost five years ago. I say this because I want to remind us this morning that friendships are not just essential, but friendships help us to cultivate intimacy. They help us to create intimacy, to cultivate intimacy in our lives. Let's look at the second theme of friendship that we talked about. First, we talked about the goodness of friendship, that friendships are essential. Next, we'll talk about the beauty of friendship, that friendships cultivate intimacy. Look with me me at verse 3 for the third mark of true friendship. The first mark was consistency. The second one was commitment. Now we're going to look at the third mark of candor. Look at me at verse 3. It says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as he loved himself. You know, I love this because it reminds us that true friendship doesn't seek to use you. True friendship isn't just about someone using you. True friendship always seeks to enjoy you, to enjoy your company. Again, listen to the wisdom of Drew Hunter in his book, Made for Friendship, on this. He says, the covenantal friendship contrasts with consumer friendship. The consumer friend stays only as long as benefits remain. As soon as they disappear, so does the friend. 
The consumer friend doesn't really want you. He only wants what you give. A consumer friend remains loyal only as long as his friend remains generous. Remains generous. It's a good reminder for us that all true friendships, in a sense, is covenantal. There's a covenant that is made with one another. I remember even as young boys, um, with growing up with Jason, we had the same routine every single day after school. We would run home, get some Tang, get some Cheetos, and we would beat Contra in about 25 minutes. That was our routine every week. And I remember one day that I had the, this was my idea, the, the ingenious idea of becoming blood brothers. <laughs> so we decided to get a little, a little uh, what do you call, safety pin and prick ourselves until blood came out of our fingers and put our, blood, our fingers together and swore an oath of friendship that we will be blood brothers together. Now listen, I'm not asking us to do that here in this church. But I do think the Bible calls us into covenant with one another. Listen to what 1 John 1, 7 says. You remember 1 John? 1 John says these words, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what does it mean to walk in the light? What is John inviting us into? You know, I used to think that this primarily referred to walking in obedience, that we're simply just called to walk in obedience, obey the scriptures, and you'll be fine. But I've come to understand that unlike the darkness, which is a place of hiding, walking in the light is a place of invitation. It's the place where we're called not just to obey God's commands, but we're invited by God himself to come out of hiding with God and others. Walking in the light is the place where God invites us to open up and be vulnerable before him and others on where we, in a place where we thereby learn how to obey better. Notice with me, when we open up to trusted friends and they don't shrink back but come closer to us in our mess, that's when friendships get traction. That's when friendships get traction. They don't just get traction when things are going well, when all is going good. They get traction when you open up and you're vulnerable to a trusted friend, not just anyone. We'll talk about that later. When we open up to a trusted friend and they don't shrink back like you're the boogeyman in fear and or even in shame. But you know, when friendships get traction is when they come close to you in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that sorrow, in the midst of that heartache, in the midst of that disappointment, and they draw close to you. This is where true friendships gain their traction. This is where they gain their credibility. See, friendships do help us to cultivate intimacy How so, Pastor Fields? Well, human beings were created to be relational beings. And therefore, friendships are an essential part of our lives. 
Listen, church, we need friends. We need people we bond with in mutual affection. Listen to what Chris and Elizabeth Kinney says in their book, Place for a Purpose, about this. It says, to be made in the image of God meant, among many other things, we are created for relationship, for community, and for neighbors. Not just any kind of neighbors, but ones who would know and love us for who we really are, for who we really are. Love how Proverbs 27, 6 puts this. It says, the wounds of a trusted friend are trustworthy, worthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Kisses of an enemy are excessive. It's a good reminder for us that real friends don't just know the truth about us. They know the whole truth about us. They sometimes see us more clearly than even, even we might see ourselves. So please follow along with me. I know it's tough with the children in the background, but we talked about five marks. We talked about the first mark being consistency, the second mark being commitment, the third mark being candor. Look with me in verse four to see the fourth mark of true friendship, conciliation. Verse four reads as follows. It says, then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. I love this because it's a good reminder for us of our theme of identity precedes function. This is, this is some, a friend of mine asked me a long time ago, hey, man, show me some, some passages of scriptures where identity precedes function. Like, where is that in the Bible? Listen, this is one of these verses where this is seen. Notice with me that David makes a covenant, excuse me, Jonathan makes a covenant with David at the beginning of his ministry and not at the end. Before David becomes king, before David is really well known, before David does anything spectacular, Jonathan loves his friend David so much that he makes a covenant with him in the beginning of his ministry. He doesn't come alongside the end to say, oh, David, man, you got a king. you're the king of, of Israel. You're the most amazing king Israel's ever had. No, he makes that covenant at the beginning. He makes a covenant with David and not just the resources that David can provide. I also love this because this reminds us that a true friend is one who not only loves you enough to speak the truth over you, but a true friend is one who can speak the truth over you even when you can't see it nor can understand it. True friend is a person who can see the truth over you, speak the truth over you, but there's also a person who can see the truth over you even when you can't see it or you can't understand it. You know, there was a time in my time here pastoring this church where 
Honestly, I just felt like I was not cut out for it. (laughs) I just felt like I wasn't doing a good job. I felt like the church was not thriving in ways that I wanted. Felt like, honestly, just felt like giving up. (laughs) Like, it's just not working. I remember calling my friend Jason and just talking to him about it and, 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 and just sharing my honest feelings with what I was feeling in the moment. I remember him saying to me, as he always does, he said, James, he called me Jay, but Jay, he said, man, you built for this. <laughs> he said, man, you've been loving God since you were a little boy. You've been leading prayers. You've been shepherding people. Man, you, you're built for this. You're built for this. And then he said some other things that I won't share um, here. On, on and, but, 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 you know, honestly, it was, it was so good for me in that moment to be encouraged by him and to be reminded of some things about myself that I just didn't know in the moment, that maybe I've forgotten. That he was able to speak some words and life over me, give me a perspective that I just couldn't see in the moment. Remind me of God's faithfulness and his goodness and his closeness, his nearness, but most importantly, remind me of how God had prepared me for the very thing that I'm doing right now. He reminded me about, as a boy, talking about how much I love church and going to church and being a part of Bible studies and doing that even when sometimes my other friends wouldn't do it with me. He said, man, you, you, you're built for this. You're built for this. It's words that encourage me, um, even to this day. So conciliation, what does it mean? What does it entail? It it means that Jonathan's life was bound up into David's life. It, It meant that Jonathan found his success wrapped up within David's success. It meant that Jonathan was committed to David's success even when his own success was at risk. It meant that Jonathan loved God's plan for David's life more than he loved his own plans for his own life. Now catch the the irony in this relationship, right? Jonathan was, was set to succeed his father Saul as the next king. Jonathan could have simply said, yeah, David, you're a great guy, but I want to be king. So I'm going to set myself up for success to succeed my father in the throne. But I love this because Jonathan would not allow his place of privilege to oversee his posture of love towards David, the nation of Israel, and namely even God himself. Jonathan did not take his place of privilege, his place of authority, He was set to become the next king. And I don't know if he desired to be the next king or not. But regardless if he desired it or not, he would not allow his love for David to overcome his love for the throne. I love this because it reminds us of what true friendship entails. That true friendships aren't just fair-weather friends. They are with us. They are for us. Maybe even at their own expense. Think of the greatest friend that we have, a friend that sticks closer than a brother named Jesus. Philippians tells us that he did not count it as something to hold on to, 
the throne room of heaven, but he emptied himself, becoming a slave, even more becoming a sacrifice for our sins. Listen, if you have friends in your life who are willing to allow you to thrive at their own expense, listen, you hold on to those friendships. You hold on to those friends because they are rare, they are valuable. Look with me at verse four, also to witness the fifth mark, the fifth and final mark of true friendship. We have consistency, we have commitment, we have candor, we have conciliation, and lastly, we have confidence. We have confidence. Essentially, what I mean by confidence is this, is that a true friend has to be found, has to be founded on trust. A true friendship has to be founded on trust. In other words, a true friend keeps confidence and is trustworthy. Proverbs 16, 28 says it this way. It says, a contrary person spreads conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Notice here that the author of Proverbs is very clear. Beware of the one who willingly gossips because gossip erodes trust and distrust erodes friendship. Notice with me also that gossip is the opposite of trust and that whispering is the opposite of safety. It's a good reminder for us that When distrust enters your relationship, you can remain friendly with one another, but it's almost impossible to remain true friends with one another. Listen to the wisdom of Proverbs 17, 19. It says, whoever conceals an offense promotes love, but whoever gossips about it separates friends. Look with me lastly to the last theme of friendship here. We talked about the goodness of friendship. Friendships are essential. We talked about the beauty of friendship, that friendships cultivate intimacy. But lastly, we'll look at the truth of friendship. Friendships are not created equal. Now listen, upon reading 1 Samuel 18, we can wrongly ascertain that every friendship is created equal. We can wrongly assume that if our friendships aren't, if every single one of our friendships aren't deep and meaningful, if every one of our friendships aren't captivating and authentic, if every one of our friendships aren't like Jonathan and David's relationship, then something is wrong with us, something is wrong with them, or something is wrong with the relationship. And brothers and sisters, beloved, this is not true. All friendships are not created equal. And guess what? That's okay. See, as lead pastor, a soldier in Carlisle, I envision that the spiritual health of our church would be exemplified by healthy and godly relationships. I envision that the spiritual maturity of our community, community groups will be grounded by the presence and the development of healthy friendships within our weekly gatherings. You know what makes community groups so special? You know what makes community groups a can't-miss opportunity each and every week? Listen, the, the conversations are great. The dialogue about the scriptures are wonderful. 
But you know what makes community groups so special? It's the friendships that are cultivated within that space. It's the opportunity to hear brothers and sisters share the joys and struggles of this life and then come in into their life as being a living embodiment of God's grace, love, and compassion for that brother or sister in that very moment. That's the beauty of what we're trying to build in community groups. It's community groups is to be founded on the beauty, the truth, the beauty, and the goodness of friendships. Friendships that are centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ and his goodness to us. The beauty of friendships is not just having a friend. The beauty of friendship is that I get to embody, I get to exemplify the love, the care, and compassion that God has for this person in this very moment. I get to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the instruction of God's word. For the glory of the name of my God, I get to step into hard, difficult, joyous, maybe even cumbersome situations, and I get to play a part of God's redeeming grace within this person's life. That's the beauty of community groups. That's why it's worth us sacrificing basketball games and other things that we have to do to go. I envision that we would not just be a hospitable church, but we would intentionally seek to establish, develop, and maintain healthy friendships within our church community. I envision that every relationship within our our church will be marked by the goodness, the beauty, and the truthfulness of friendship. Well, Pastor James, that's a compelling vision, but how do we do this practically? What does this practically look like, Pastor James? Well, I have a image here that I'd like to show you that I think will help us embrace this idea of the truth of friendship, that friendships are not created equal. For all of us, I think we need to make sure that we, we talk, when we talk about friends, that we need to understand what type of friend we're talking about. <laughs> you see, some friendships are just interpersonal relationships. And what that means is, you know me through someone else. You don't really know me, but you you know me through someone else. We don't really have a relationship with one another. And then you go down a degree further, and then you have acquaintances. Acquaintances are people that I know you, I know you through someone else. That I don't really know you, but I know you through someone else, through conversations, maybe through Facebook. Many of our Facebook friends are on this level of acquaintances. Not all, but many. Then we have casual friends. Casual friends means this. I know you, but you really don't know me. Then we have this last, most intimate kind of area of close close friends or close friendships. This means I know you, you know me, we know each other. There's a mutuality that happens within this relationship. And listen, I, I hope that we really embrace this aspect of being able to see our friends in these very dynamics, especially within the life of our church. Because if we do this, two realities will happen. Number one, we don't have to associate value with closeness. We don't have to associate value with closeness. 
that we can find value in whatever diagram or whatever level of friendship that we have with the person. You don't have to be my closest friend just for me to have value in you as a person, as an image bearer of God. That's very, very, very important for all of us to hear. Because we all have a tendency of only looking out for those who are closest to us, who are most intimate with us. We show them the greatest love and show them the greatest value because of their closeness to us. But what if we change the script? (laughs) What if we showed the value of another person not based upon their closeness to us, but what if we showed the value of a person based upon them being made in the image of God? Why does a person's value have to always be determined by how close they are to us and how generous they are to us? Why can't their value be based upon the fact that they're simply made in the image, the likeness of our God and our Savior, of of, of the creator of all the ends of the earth? You don't have to be close to me to have personal value. You don't have to be close to me for me to treat you with dignity and pride and with, as, a, as an image bearer of God. Number two, and not only we don't have to associate value with closeness, but number two, we don't have to pretend that intimacy equates or necessitates closeness. We don't have to pretend that. You know, I love this because this isn't just something that God calls us to do. It's something that he actually modeled well for us. And ultimately, I pray that every friendship within this church would embody not just your love for that person, but more importantly, your friendship would embody God's great care, his concern and compassion for that person. Proverbs 18, 24 puts it this way. It says, one with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So let's take this concentric circle that we have up here and let's map that upon the gospel. Because again, God isn't simply calling us to do something that he hasn't modeled well for us. And even in Jesus' relationship on this earth, he also was able to have these four separate dynamics and relationships. His interpersonal relationships was best seen when he was teaching to the multitudes. Jesus getting on a mountain, on a hill, and teaching to thousands and thousands of people. Maybe having a relationship with them, maybe not. But he had an interpersonal relationship with them. And then he also had acquaintances. Remember how he commissioned? Shouldn't be 12 disciples, it should be the 72 disciples. Remember how he sent out the 72 disciples, right? To go and to proclaim and advance the kingdom of God. But then he also had casual friends. He had the 12 disciples. Out of those 72, he chose 12 who were more closely related to him. And then lastly, Even Jesus himself, yes, he had close friends. He had three of his closest disciples. 
James, John, and Peter, who were able to witness things that none of the other disciples were able to witness. I love this because, again, it shows us, again, that God isn't just calling us to something. He's calling us to model this, model his own life of how he's lived his life in this way. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the gift of friendship. Thank you, God, for the goodness, the beauty, and the truth of friendships. I pray that you would help us to know how to be good friends to one another. Pray that you would help us, Lord, to, to embody and embrace what it means to have you as our true friend. Father, I thank you that you are the friend who sticks closer than a brother. So we look to you now in hope and in, with much joy. Help us to cultivate and be a church that's founded on the beauty and the grace of what it means to be true friends, friends with God and friends with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. This time we have the great privilege to be able to commemorate the life of our Savior Jesus by taking communion. Communion is more than just taking a piece of bread and eating it or taking this juice and drinking it. It reminds us of the sacrifice of our greatest friend who laid down his life for us so that we might have life everlasting. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, broke it, and blessed it, and said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. For those who are followers of Jesus, may let us eat together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the same way, Jesus took a cup, and after giving thanks and blessing it, he said, take, drink, this is all of, for all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Let us drink of that cup together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing and preaching of his word. Amen. Amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.